Our second reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 3 and chapter 4, beginning at verse 11 of chapter 3. The words of John the Baptist, who said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. We're going to look today at the calling of Jesus and the challenge to Jesus and how that calling and that challenge has been transferred from Jesus to the body of Christ, which is his church. First, we look at Jesus' baptism. And why in the world would Jesus, who is righteous, need to be baptized by John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance? And there are many commentators who wonder about this, and I still don't think I know fully why he chose to do this, but I do believe that Jesus came to identify completely with all of humanity. And in so doing, he did what we do. He was baptized, in a sense, into humanity, just as we, when we're baptized, are, are baptized into divinity, into God's life and purpose. And I believe because baptism is a sacrament of identity, Jesus chose to be baptized to declare his identity. And then the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and the voice of God was heard to say, this is my son in him, I am well pleased. Now, it's interesting. It says here, and he saw, 
the Spirit of God descending. It doesn't say that the crowd saw, that John saw, that anyone else saw. It said that Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending. We don't know who heard the words, this is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. Did the crowd hear this? Did John hear this? Did only Jesus hear this? The only thing we know for sure is that Jesus heard it, and it is important to realize that Jesus heard it, to embrace the truth that Jesus heard it, because this is God, the Father, saying to the Son, this is who you are. In baptism, we bring a child or we, we um, bring ourselves to the waters to say, this is who we are. We bring our child to say, we want this child to be God's child. We want them to have an identity that is wrapped up in God, in God's purposes for them, in God's promises to them. When we bring ourselves for baptism, we say, I have chosen to put aside the waves of the world, and I have chosen to align myself with Jesus Christ, with his plans and purposes for me and for the world. It's an identity issue. It's an identity presentation. And in Christ's baptism, God affirms his identity as God's son and one who is pleasing to God. One commentator said, you know, John has been walking around and telling people about the Messiah who is to come, and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He presents this picture of the Messiah who is going to come to judge, and the people probably um, are baptized in part because of fear, because the Messiah is powerful and strong, and the Messiah comes with judgment. One commentator has said, it's sort of like John has been preaching that Sylvester Stallone is coming to put right the world, and Mr. Rogers shows up. <laughs> because listen, this is, this is a description of the servant of God from Isaiah 42. He will bring justice to the nations. That's in line with John, he will bring justice. Finally, everything will be made right. But listen next. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. This is the call of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. That is who he is, his identity. And now we have his call, which is to bring justice to the earth. But the way he does this is different than the people expected. People expected a strong and powerful leader who would coerce and force people into following after God. And unfortunately, in the human realm, in our um, Throughout human history and even today, those who claim to be strong, those who claim to have power, are the ones we align ourselves with, hoping that they will do what we hope they will do. We, we still think that that kind of power is what we need. But Jesus brings to us a far deeper power, a far deeper strength, and therefore he does not need to tell you how powerful he is. He does not need to shout it out in the streets or coerce people. Jesus has 
a foundational strength that comes from his relationship with God that gives him a sense of identity, that gives him strength, that gives him the ability to teach and show people God's grace without being prideful, without being strong in the way we think he should be strong, without being coercive. An underlying strength of character, an underlying strength of identity. This is what Jesus brings. And that ultimately will win the day. Throughout history, we have people rising up and people being toppled down who claim to have all the strength, all the power, all the authority, all the wisdom, and people follow after them, but one after the other, they end up toppled. And only the power and strength of God remains. And we say, yes, but it's been a long time we would prefer something to happen now, and Jesus stays the course. He will win. He will ultimately win, and righteousness, which is the Hebrew word mishpat, will reign over all creation. The three favorite Hebrew words of mine, of course, shalom, which means everything is right in the world, Hesed, which is God's loving faithfulness, and Mishpat, which is God's ultimate judgment, which brings righteousness, justice. And all of these words, in a sense, go together in a beautiful and wonderful way. Justice. Peace. What's the other one? Oh, and loving kindness. It all comes together. God's loving kindness is how he executes his judgment. God's judgment ultimately brings peace. And these are the promises of God. This is what Jesus Christ knew his job was to be, to do, to bring this justice to the earth. And it doesn't come through temporary exhibitions of power. And that's why I believe Matthew places the temptation of Christ just after this baptism. Jesus gets his assignment, Jesus gets his identity, and then immediately he is thrown into this temptation, the temptation to deny his identity, to deny his calling. And I like to look at, I came up with this a few years ago and think I'm clever, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, the, the three temptations, flower, tower, and power. Someone likes it. Uh, flower, of course, is bread. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He is hungry, and the enemy says, now take this stone and make it into bread. You're hungry. Eat something. And you notice what he says every time? He says, if you are the Son of God, 
then do this. If you are the Son of God, then make this stone into bread because you, the Son of God, are hungry and you, the Son of God, deserve to have what you want. And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. In other words, even though he did physically want that bread, he knew that that bread was not his goal at that time. It's interesting throughout these temptations, if you look back to the wilderness wanderings of Israel, the people of Israel were complaining that they were hungry, so God provided bread for them. Every time Jesus speaks in this passage, in, in this temptation narrative, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy, which is the, the retelling of the law. Leviticus is the first deutero, which means second, second law. And there's a sense in which Jesus comes along and rewrites the whole thing. So the second law, the third law, Jesus experiences what the Israelites experienced in the desert, but was successful in overcoming the temptations. He was successful in being humanity the way humanity was meant to be, where humans have been unable to be humanity the way humanity was meant to be. And the main lesson I think we get from Jesus' refusal to turn stones into bread is that Jesus lived life on purpose. He had his purpose, and everything had to answer to that purpose. He made his decisions before he made his decisions. He made his big decision before he made his little decisions. I could illustrate this in a way that would embarrass me, and since I brought it up, I will. <laughs> if I were to be successful, for example, in something that maybe I should try to be successful in, such as getting into better shape, I would have to make a big decision to do that. And then I would have to make decision after decision after decision after decision based on that big decision. I couldn't say, I've decided that I'm going to go to the gym every day, and then when the time came that I said I was going to go to the gym, decide, I'm not going to today. Because you know what happens then, right? You decide, I'm not going today, next day, and the next day, and the next day. You can decide, I'm not going to eat after eight o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening. Starting tomorrow. And then, as you know, tomorrow never comes. And this is true in our lives in relationship with God as well. I was in college when someone told me, you know, Jim, every week you decide whether you're going to church or not. And I said, yes. And this person said, that's not the way to do it. He said, you have to decide that you're going to be in church every week and then do it. I would challenge us all to that. We tend to make our decisions one by one, step by step, 
And sometimes we choose well and sometimes we don't. But if we have an overarching decision that is based on who we know we are and what we are called to be and to do, then that overarching decision will impact all those little decisions. And it will be as if we don't make those decisions anymore because we already decided what we are and what we want to be and what we want to do. This is true in every area of life. If you decide that you want to be a person of integrity and there's that little decision to cheat just a little on your taxes or to cheat just a little bit at work or to tell just a little bit of a lie, you won't do those things because you have decided that you are going to be a person of integrity and those little decisions are already made. You don't even need to think about them because you know who you are and you know what you're called to be and you know what you're called to do and not do. This is true when we face temptations of every kind. If we know who we are and we know what we're called to do and we claim our identity in Christ, then those things that would threaten to undo us or those things that seem just little things, no big deal, but are not in line with what God calls us to be, we will say no to because we have one identity, one calling, and we know who we are and we know what we're called to do and we know what we're called, excuse me, not to do. In Daniel 1, when Daniel is taken into captivity and he is told that he needs to change his beliefs, to change his habit patterns away from what he knows that God has called him to do, he is told by the powers that be that he must no longer live the way he has lived. He must eat different things. He must do different things. Daniel says no, because, it says in the King James, he purposed in his heart how he would be. Uh, The NIV says he resolved, but I love that sense of he purposed in his heart. He knew who he was, he knew whose he was, and he knew how he was to live. And all of his decisions came out of who he was, whose he was, and how he was to live. So he decided, this is the way I will live. And if you know the story, you know that because he lived by his God-given principles, his God-given identity, he was honored in the land. God used him in that land. That's the flower, now the tower. Satan took Jesus up to a high tower and said, throw yourself off because God has promised that he won't let you even dash your foot on a stone. You will be, you will be protected. You will be surrounded by God's favor, by God's power. Just do this. It's no biggie, right? In fact, you could, you could get glory for your father by doing this. The people will see and they will say, wow, look at that. The, God lifted him up and Jesus said no. Because God's purpose in my life, God's purpose in your life is not to give you or me glory. It is to give God glory. James Turner said the origins of unbelief in America, in his uh, article, The Origins of Unbelief in America, said in tying their religious beliefs to their convenience, 
we have slowly removed the one true God from their lives. The truth is we cannot truly have God in our lives except as Lord and Father. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, only through discipline can we learn freedom. So often we see God as answering to us. We say, God, I will have faith if. I will serve you if. And you might see it more the other, you know, just looking at it from a different angle, you might see this truth more clearly. When we struggle in faith, we say, God didn't do this for me. I, for example, wanted a spouse. I, for example, wanted that job. I, for example, did not want this person to die. And God didn't do what I wanted God to do. So therefore, it's hard for me to have faith. I cannot believe anymore because God didn't do what I thought God should do. And folks, that is the backwards way of approaching God. And as hard as it is, I think especially in a culture that has told us that God's job is to make us happy, to step back and say, no, it is my job to please God. And that doesn't mean that everything will always be easy. Sometimes it will be difficult. Look at, look at what happened to Jesus. He got his identity. He got his calling. He was lifted up. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, you are my beloved I am so pleased with you. And you and I would probably say, oh good, now my life's going to be easy because God likes me. But what happens to Jesus is because God values him, because God likes him, because God loves him, he is directed to these temptations. Now it's not that God is tempting. Of course, we see that the enemy comes in and does the tempting, but God does not protect him from that tempting in, by taking him away from it, but God strengthens him through that tempting because Jesus had to endure it. Jesus had to endure it to affirm his calling, to affirm his identity as God's son, as God's beloved, as the one who is the servant who will bring justice to the nations. And we may have to go through challenges and struggles in life. Those, are not, those do not tell us that God is not favored, does not have favor for us, that God does not love us. Those tell us that God is working things out in us, or that just sometimes bad things happen, but God remains good. Jesus was faithful to his calling to bring honor and glory to God, and for him, that meant struggling even to the point of sweating as if drops of blood with agony before being arrested beaten, persecuted, and killed because that was God's calling upon him. And it says in Philippians 2, because he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The same is sometimes true for us. 
being willing to struggle, being willing to trust God even in challenging times is our call. It's part of our identity. And to reverse this and think that God's job is to make me happy, God's job is to give me what I want, is a total misunderstanding of what this gospel is, what this word of God is. It is a common misunderstanding, but it is a misunderstanding nonetheless. God will bless us. Don't get me wrong. God will do wonderful things for us, but that is not God's primary purpose for us. God's primary purpose for us is to embrace our identity as belonging to him and then to live out our call as God's people. It's interesting in, in a lot of the um, praise music that we sing and a lot you hear on the radio, in fact, even as I turned the radio on in the car uh, to come here, there was a song on the radio about, I am a child of God. This is who I am. And there's, it's a beautiful um, focus that's relatively new in Christian music of, of focusing on our identity in Christ. And it's, it's wonderful. And Jesus experienced that when the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And we can experience that too. The Holy Spirit speaks to our spirits, it says in scriptures, and, and tells us that we belong to God, that we are God's children. But that's not the whole story. Because we are God's children, because we belong to the kingdom of God, we are also God's ambassadors, which means not only do we have an identity, but we have a calling. And that is the calling that we are to live out to share God's good news, God's truth, God's kingdom, and God's justice with the world. Finally, flower, tower, power. Satan says to Jesus, look around. I'll give you everything. I'll give you all of this. Now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to, to assume power. But you just, the only little thing you have to do is bow down to me. And Jesus says that is a huge thing. Because only God is God, only God is ultimately trustworthy, and only God can establish true justice in the earth. Because only God has that power, only God has that goodness. Jesus knew that he had to enter the place of death to go through all that he went through in this life to actually redeem humanity. So keep in mind, you are daughters and sons of God if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit of that identity. That is who you are. Embrace that. Don't let anything take you away from that identity. But what is the, what is the goal of the enemy? The goal of the enemy is to rob you of that identity, to say to you, God doesn't really love you as much as Pastor Jim says. God doesn't really love you the way the Word of God says. You're not 
you're not as good as that person sitting next to you this morning, and therefore, God likes them better than you. Don't believe it, folks. You are beloved of God. That is who you are. The second thing the enemy wants to rob from us is our purpose. Hold on to your identity, know who you are, and hold on to your purpose. Know what you're called to be and know what you're called to do. So much of the temptations that we experience in this life are attempts to rob us of our purpose, saying, well, I could be single-minded for God, but I'm going to go this way and that way. And imagine how much we've, we're sacrificing of our effectiveness for the kingdom when we're not single-minded, when we're not focused on what God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. Remember, make the decision first, the big decision, and then all the little decisions won't need to be made because God will be at work within you. You know who you are. You know what you're called to do. And those little decisions, yes or no, here or there, if you know you're going to serve God first and foremost, those decisions are already made. Jesus was the suffering servant, or so we believe, because that passage from Psalm 42 is quoted about Jesus in another part of Matthew. We know that Jesus is the suffering servant, but we also know that the original readers of this passage from Isaiah did not know this. They looked for a Messiah, but they also looked for a king who might be a servant who brings justice. They looked for other answers that would bring justice. They were wondered maybe if they together weren't also the suffering servant, the one who would bring justice. And that is, I think, an important thing to understand. As we read this passage, we read that Jesus is, we believe that Jesus is this servant. Jesus is the one who will bring justice. But Jesus said to his disciples when he ascended back into heaven, God sent me, now I send you. So we now are that servant we are the ones to bring God's justice to the earth, and we don't need to do it with loud shouts of our authority and with our loud acclamations of our power. But not breaking bruised reed, reeds and not putting out smoldering wicks. We maintain our sense of identity our sense of call, our sense of purpose, till God accomplishes justice through us. 